You know, on New Year's Eve, I don't know what you were doing, but uh, we were just kind of relaxing and we were watching a few programs. There were a few programs on television that kind of recapped, you know, the year. Uh, and we watched a few of those. And they did a really good job of kind of mixing uh, some humorous elements with obviously the more serious uh, elements that, that happened during uh, 2020. And I, I think everyone was ready to move into 2021. I think that goes without saying. But, uh, but you know, just because the calendar changes doesn't mean that it just erases 2020. I mean, we know what happened last year impacts even this year and impacts our lives because it's part of our story. I mean, it's marked us. Uh, and there is wisdom in looking in the past, looking back over the past year and even beyond uh, to gain that wisdom and apply it to the present. Um, and it also helps you even see how God worked in your life in the context of God's working uh, in our life of our church. And, and so this is true, you know, not only with us, but even as we consider this question that we began to answer last week as we've been walking through the Gospels, which is, you know, who is Jesus and, and why should we follow him? And so last week we looked back. We looked back at the, the birth and the childhood of Jesus. We looked at Matthew chapters 1 and 2. We looked at Luke chapters 1 and 2. We looked at John chapter 1, verses 1 through 14. And in these verses, the gospel writers share with us that the birth of Jesus was very unique. You know, John 1 taught us that Jesus is fully divine and fully human. Uh, Matthew and Luke taught us that Jesus is the Messiah. He's the Christ. He's the legal heir to King David's throne. Uh, we also learned that the work of Jesus would benefit not only Israel, but also the whole world. Uh, and then we left off where Jesus was 12 years old and his parents were looking for him. and They found him in the temple and Jesus told his parents that he must be about his father's business, meaning that he must be about God, the father's business. And so as we pick up the gospel account this morning, we're going to pick it up where Jesus is approximately 30 years old. So some time has passed since uh, when, when, you know, that time when he was 12 years old. Now he's 30 years old. And there are two main movements that we're going to look at in the passages that we'll be looking at this morning. And the two movements can be labeled preparation and temptation. You know, there is the preparation for the work of Jesus that he would accomplish. And then there is the temptation that sought to derail that work. You know, preparation is like clearing a path. So someone can walk down it. Temptation is trying to knock someone off that path. And that's what we're going to see this morning in the passages we'll look at. Uh, we're going to be in the Gospel of Mark. You notice we didn't pick up the Gospel of Mark last week. Uh, because Mark's Gospel actually picks up when Jesus is about 30 years old. And so we're going to start with the Gospel of Mark this morning. Chapter 1, verse 1. So if you'll turn with me to Mark's Gospel in verse 1, he begins his gospel this way. He says, The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Now, before we go any further, let me, let me stop right here and just set the context. Uh, because the word gospel means good news. It, is, it was used to describe positive news, like maybe a birth or a military victory. And so gospel refers to good news. And so Mark is writing about the gospel or the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Which prompts the question, at least in my mind, it prompts the question, why is the news about Jesus good news? 
You know, why is he calling this gospel? Why is he calling this good news? And you know, really this is a question that we need to answer before we go any further uh, in the verses that we'll look at in Mark chapter 1. Or really they won't make much sense. Uh, so let me just give you two scenarios as we begin. Okay, the first scenario is one that I saw on a comedy show. And the scene included a grown man relaxing in a small, shallow hot tub. Okay, can you picture that? Okay, so you have the grown man relaxing in a small, shallow hot tub. And to the right of the hot tub, there was this tall lifeguard chair with a lifeguard sitting in the chair looking at the man in the hot tub through binoculars who was about five feet away from him. And so, you know, the man in the hot tub is kind of looking at this lifeguard thinking, why are you here? (laughs) You know, what are you doing? You know, I'm a grown man in a hot tub that's maybe like three feet deep, and I'm just sitting here relaxing. Why are you here? And so, and just the absurdity of it all is what really makes it a great comedy bit. And you would have to see it to, I guess, fully appreciate the, 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 um, the comedy of it, but it was funny. And so obviously the grown man looked at the lifeguard and, and figures, you know, I don't need you here. I'm a grown man uh, relaxing in a shallow hot tub. And actually I prefer you not even to be here because you're like staring at me while I'm trying to relax. Now the second scenario is one that I just saw online just the other day. There was a uh, surfer and a, a crowd on this beach in Hawaii and out in the ocean, the, the waves were pretty rough. And there was a young lady who had been swimming in the ocean and she got caught in these rough waves and was, was unable to get back to shore. And so she was struggling and someone was filming this, which is kind of, you know, one of those things where you're like, why are you filming this instead of helping the person? But anyway, they're filming it. And it, in the shot, you see this surfer just start running down the beach and he just goes into the water and, you know, rescues this helpless swimmer and brings her to the to the shore safely. And uh, obviously she's very thankful that he uh, was there to do that uh, because she recognized that she was, she was desperately in need of help. So here you have two scenarios. You have one person in the shallow hot tub who has no need of help and actually would prefer you not even to be there, be present. And then you have another scenario where this person was in desperate need of help and was very thankful for the one who helped her. In one scenario here, there's a person who actually was you know, really annoyed that the lifeguard was even present. And in this other scenario... Uh, was very thankful for the person who served as her lifeguard. And so really when you think about spiritually speaking, there are two types of people that kind of go with these two scenarios. You know, one type of person sees himself, you know, soaking in the shallow water of his goodness with no need for Jesus. And the other person you see is overcome by the waves of the wrong things he has done against God. And is in desperate need of Jesus in his life. And so, who do you think sees the news about Jesus as good news? And was the one who senses that he's drowning, that she's drowning in the wrong things they've done against God. And that that they need help desperately. It's that person that sees the news about Jesus as good news. Because, you know, it's only the lost that need to be found, right? It's only the sick that need the physician. It's only the the sinful that need forgiveness. It's only those who have been separated that need reconciling. And Mark and the other Gospels are setting out in their writings to give an account of the one 
that God has sent into the world to seek out the lost, to forgive the sinful, and to reconcile those who are separated from God. And this is why the news about Jesus is good news. So if you see yourself in that situation, you look at Jesus and you're, as you're learning about him, you're thinking to yourself, this is good news. This is, this is what I need. Now, if you're the person in the shallow water of your good deeds, you may think of Jesus as annoying. And I don't even want him around here. Uh, but for those of us who sense and recognize our deep need of the forgiveness of God, the news about Jesus is, in fact, gospel. It is good news. But what's interesting, and we learned about this a little bit last week, is that the good news of Jesus did not begin with his birth. And this is why the gospel writer Mark, as well as every other, all, three, all four gospel writers actually, quote this passage. They look back into the Old Testament and they quote this passage that we're going to read about in verses 2 and 3 in Mark 1. But what I want you to see is that the good news about Jesus did not start with his birth. Uh, it wasn't like God uh, had tried some other ways of saving humanity and they just didn't work out. And so he thought to himself, you know, I just need to send Jesus. I need to send my son. He's going to take on flesh. That's going to do it. No, the redemptive plan of God has been in place all throughout the history of the world. And Jesus's birth, his coming is the climax of this event. Uh, it's the, you know, it's the trajectory. The whole biblical story has been traveling all throughout history and finds its fulfillment in the coming of Jesus Christ. And so to show the coming of, that the coming of Jesus is in that trajectory of the redemptive plan of God for humanity, Mark looks back and quotes two Old Testament passages in verses 2 and 3. This is what he writes. He says, As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger before your face who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, prepare the way of the Lord, make straight his paths. And so this quote is a combination from uh, verses in Malachi chapter 3, verse 1, and Isaiah chapter 4, verse 3. And this quote tells us at least two things. First, it tells us that God had planned to send a messenger that would prepare the way of the Lord. And this messenger is revealed to be John the Baptist. We'll find out that in just a minute. Uh, and, G and John, John the Baptist was born uh, a very miraculous birth. His parents were barren and God, you know, supernaturally enabled them to give birth to him. Uh, and he was set apart by God to prepare the way of the Lord. And the way he did this is recorded in Mark chapter one, verses four through eight. This is what Mark says. In verse four, John appeared baptizing in the wilderness and proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him and were being baptized by him in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now, John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and ate locusts and wild honey. And he preached, saying, After me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water. But he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> so John does several things here to prepare the way of the Lord. First, he preaches the need for repentance and baptism. And notice that in verse 5, Mark tells us that all the country of Judea and all Jerusalem were going out to him. Uh, I think that's pretty significant when you have such a large group of people 
making their way out to the wilderness, uh, why were they going out there? Well, most of them were going out there to confess their sins and to be baptized by John. And this is very significant because as you read through the Bible, you realize that when the people of God start to gather and repent of sin and recognize, God, we have, we have gone our own way and we have not followed you, when you see that happening, usually you see deliverance is coming. I mean, the people of God are ready. They're ready to receive the deliverance that God has promised to give. And so you see all the people going out, repenting of their sin, confessing their sin, being baptized by John. And so we see this readiness by the people to admit their sin and receive the work that God wanted to do in their midst. And so the people were being prepared by John for what God would do through Jesus. The second thing John does is he explains what's about to happen. You see this in verse 7 and 8. He says, After me, he who is mightier than I, uh, after me comes he who is mightier than I, the strap of whose sandals I am not worthy to stoop down and untie. I have baptized you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. And so he says three things here. One, he says, the one who is to come is mightier than I. He's greater than I am. Second, he says, I'm not worthy to stoop down and untie his sandals, which was a role for the servant. Like the lowest servant in the house would basically stoop down to untie your sandals. And what John's saying is, I'm not even, I'm not even worthy to be his servant. He's so much greater than I am. And then third, he tells the people that there will be a difference between how I'm baptizing you with water and how he will baptize you. John's, John's baptism was a baptism of preparation for God, what God for what God will do, but the baptism of the one who is to come is a baptism of the Holy Spirit. Uh, it would be it will be an act that will bring about spiritual rebirth and renewal. So a more significant, powerful baptism. And so first we see God is going to send a messenger to prepare the way, and we see that messenger is John. But the second thing we see in the in this verse is that. Uh, this messenger will prepare the way of the Lord, which is significant. You look at verse 3. It says, The voice of one crying out to the in the wilderness, Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. So let me ask you this question. Who is John preparing the way for? He's preparing the way for the Lord. For God himself. So Isaiah says that there is this one crying out in the wilderness who will prepare the way of the Lord. Which makes sense because only the Lord, only God can give the Spirit of God. Only God can forgive sins because sin is that which is against God. You know, only God can create new spiritual life. So what this means is that the one who is to come is God himself in the person of Jesus Christ. And John has prepared the way. <clears throat> now let me just take a little, kind of, little tangent here. Because I do want to look at, even though we're in a different period than John, you know, it, it, what is clear throughout the scripture is that the way that we prepare for the work that God wants to do in our own lives is the same today as it was then. You know, it, it was those who had a recognition of their need for God's forgiveness that went out to the wilderness, you know, to confess their sins and they were baptized by John. So this exercise of you know, recognition, confession, 
and repentance is the way that we prepare ourselves for what God wants to do in our lives. And in fact, it's the way that we both enter a relationship with God and then grow in our relationship with God. And so we enter a relationship with God how? Well, we recognize our need for God, our need for God's forgiveness. We confess our sin. In other words, we confess the fact that, yes, we have gone our own way. We've done our own thing. We've lived the way we wanted to live. And then we repent. We turn from that to turn to Jesus by faith and receive his forgiveness and new life in God. So we have this entrance into the people of God through this recognition, confession, and repentance. But it's also the way we grow in our relationship with God. You know, as we are growing in our relationship with God, we need to recognize those areas of our lives that God brings to our mind, that we are, you know, we're just not doing what He wants us to do. And then we need to confess those areas to God. And confession means to agree with. I agree with God about what I'm doing is wrong. This is not right. I agree with God that this is not right. I confess it. And then I repent, which means, okay, you know what? That's, that's not the right way to go. I'm going to turn, which is what repentance means. I'm going to turn from going this way, and I'm going to begin to trust God to lead me His way. Which is one reason why it's so important to read God's Word. And this is one reason why we're taking the Proverbs challenge. We're trying to get into God's Word more this year so that we can understand more of the ways of God so that we can follow Him. So we see John has prepared the way of the Lord. The people have responded and they were anticipating what God would do through his son, Jesus. And once the, the way was prepared, it was time for the Lord to go public. And he does so in a special way. We see it in Mark chapter 1, verses 9 through 11, which says, In those days, Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. And when he came up out of the water, immediately he saw the heavens being torn open And the spirit descending on him like a dove and a voice came from heaven. You are my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. So Jesus was baptized by John, you know, symbolizing the continuity between what John was preaching and what Jesus was about to accomplish. You know, they were ushering in a new era. And as Jesus came up out of the water, you have this visible expression of the spirit of God coming down from heaven upon him. And then you have this uh, voice coming out of heaven from God the Father saying, you are my beloved son, with you I am well pleased. And so you have this testimony here of the Father and the Spirit that Jesus is the Son. He is the Son of God. And that this work that he will do will be empowered by the Spirit of God. So in other words, what we're seeing here is Jesus you know, is the lifeguard that has been sent into you know, the ocean of humanity uh, to save those who are drowning in sin. But before he can go to the cross, which we'll read about in several weeks, before he goes to the cross and, and, he, and takes on the sin of humanity, he must first face temptation and show himself faithful where the first Adam proved unfaithful. Mark chapter 1 verses 12 through 13 tell us the spirit immediately drove him out into the wilderness and he was in the wilderness 40 days being tempted by Satan and he was with the wild animals and the angels were ministering to him. Now Matthew and Luke 
uh, give much more detail of this account. But true, two truths are established in this 40-day event. First, Jesus maintains obedience to God the Father by resisting the forbidden fruit. Something that Adam failed to do. And second, Jesus' success in resisting temptation proves that he truly is the Son of God. One writer said it this way. He said, where Adam and later Israel, as they wandered in the desert, failed, Jesus succeeded. Jesus shows himself fully qualified to represent humanity and exemplify the way to victory. And also, just let me remind you all that if you're in Christ, then you have uh, this same power to resist temptation. You know, James chapter 4, verse 7 tells us, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. And also, think about, think about the temptation of Jesus as I read 1 Peter 5, 8 through 10. Peter writes, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. And after you have suffered a little while, the God of all grace who has called you to his eternal glory in Christ will himself restore, confirm, strengthen, and establish you. So the reason we can resist temptation and persevere through difficulty is because of what Jesus accomplished, not only in the wilderness of temptation, uh, but throughout his life, death, and his resurrection. So what we've learned so far here is that John the Baptist is the one who has prepared the way of the Lord, who is Jesus. And Jesus walked the path of obedience to God, even in the face of temptation. One writer said it this way, you know, the forerunner has pointed the way, God has opened the way, the devil has failed to block the way, and Jesus embarks on his ministry to proclaim and bring the promise of God. So, Let's go back to the question. Who is Jesus? Who is Jesus and why should we follow him? Well, what we've learned so far in the Gospels is that Jesus is the Son of God. Jesus is the Word. Jesus is God in the flesh. Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is Emmanuel. Uh, Jesus came to save people from their sins. Jesus is a king of a never-ending kingdom. Jesus is a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to the people of Israel. And Jesus is the second Adam who remained faithful to God in the midst of temptation. So this is who Jesus is, at least so far that we know in the gospel account. And the question now is, why should we follow him? Why should we follow this Jesus? And I would say because without him, we are drowning in the consequences of our own choices with no way to reach the shore of God's forgiveness and the life that God offers us in Christ. And it's becoming clearer and clearer in the Gospels, and will continue to become clearer, that it's only through faith in Jesus Christ that we can be made right with God and live the life that God wants us to live. Let's pray. Father, thank you for these Gospel accounts that continue to inform our belief in who Jesus is and empower us to live the life you have for us in him. God, I pray you continue to uh, give us clarity. Help us to truthfully know who Christ is, believe in his name and follow him. 
Lord, may this year be a year of growth for each of us as we seek to grow in our relationship with you to become the people you want us to be. And may you continue to add to our number those who are being saved and who will gather here as well to worship your name. Lord, we trust you for all these things. In Jesus' name, amen.